0: Hello there! Welcome to Jubes and Kerr, the podcast of my show on GB News. My name is Michelle Jubbury, and you can catch me live every weekday evening from six till seven pm. But worry not, if you miss it, you can catch up here after every show. So let's do it! Welcome to Jubes and Kerr. Well, keeping me company at my panel, we've got Mark Wallace, who's the chief executive of Conservative Home, Rob Lyons, who's the science director at the Academy of Ideas, and Pimana Asad, Labour councillor. And you know the drill on Jubes and Co by now. It's not just about us here. It's about you at home as well and your thoughts. What's on your mind tonight? Uh, uh, in particular, the reaction to the stories that we'll be discussing, you can get in touch with me on email gbviews at gbnews.uk, or you can tweet me at michellejubes or at gbnews. Don't forget, of course, if you haven't already, subscribe to us on YouTube. Uh, All the best bits are on there. You can watch us live. We've got uh, podcasts now. We're on the radio, uh, on DAB+. We're everywhere, so wherever you are tuning in, good evening to you. Our top story tonight, a major review says that more than 200 babies uh, may have died and many others left with life-changing injuries due to catastrophic failings at Shrewsbury and Telford NHS Trust. The review, chaired by senior midwife Donna Erkenden, examined almost 1,600 cases and spanned 20 years Nine mothers were also found to have died needlessly in the largest ever NHS maternity scandal. Well, joining me now to discuss the findings is Julia Rowlings. Her daughter, Olivia, died very soon after she was delivered at Royal Shrewsbury Hospital in 2002, having suffered multiple head injuries during her birth. What an awful uh, situation. Good evening to you. Thanks for joining us, Julie. Uh, I touched there on the story, but just tell us, if you will, uh, what actually happened...
1: Um, it was the force that they used um, to deliver Olivia. Um, Olivia was born after a, a failed Fontousin, um double forceps delivery um, and they caused severe head injuries um, to Olivia. Um, a, a lot of bruising, a lot of internal injuries um, to Olivia that she was never going to... Survive. Um, I'm not going into detail because it's quite graphic and it would be very upsetting to 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 people. But um, it wasn't just it's put down that she had a severe head injury, brain injury. um, But they caused a lot of injuries to Olivia when she was uh, being delivered.
0: I'm so sorry. Um, I mean, it must be awful. I don't even, uh, you you don't ever recover from something like that. How do you feel today? Because this report, it's been long promised. It's been delayed multiple times. Uh, The truth is now out. How does that make you feel?
1: There's relief. There's a lot of uh, different emotions. There's relief that we've reached the end. Um, There's pride um, in every mother that found the courage, every mother, every father as well, who found the courage to speak out, um, and finally get all our voices heard. Um there's apprehension, um, anxiety about it all, and just a, a sheer hope that they're they're listening this time. But I don't see how they can't listen, um, because it's out there. Um so I'm hopeful, um, but, yeah, it's a difficult one. There's just so many emotions um, being felt today.
0: I can absolutely imagine. Um, and you say that you're hopeful. Do you think that change will occur? Because when we look at this report, the, the thing that pops out yeah. is that lessons weren't learned. Mistakes were repeated over and over and over again. and. You know, do you have hope, do you have faith actually that changes will now happen, that this will be a watershed moment?
1: I have hope. I don't have faith. Um, the the Trust have a, a proven history of um, not listening. They're still not listening, even now. Um, I would like it that the 23 parents um, I personally feel should in some way be involved in seeing the changes not just hearing about them but actually seeing them um because the 23 and and then obviously the the 1000 um, well just under 1600 families um, who came forward um we should all be able to see that those changes are being made and it's not just we're being told they're being made.
0: Julie, um, you know, once again, I'm so sorry for your loss. I can't even imagine you, what you've been through. Um, I think, you know, you're clearly a strong woman. You're doing Olivia proud. Well done on everything that you've done, and I hope, thank like you, what Nick. you hope, that change does come. Thank you very much for your time, Mark Wallace. I mean, thank you. Nick. You know, I find that I listen to that, and it gives me goosebumps. Anyone that's had children, and I know you've had children as okay, well. Okay. Thank
1: you very much.
0: Thank you. Um, you know, I know that you've had children yourself, and when you're in that situation, you are so vulnerable. Um, you trust what the doctors say to you. It's a very emotional situation, can be quite scary. So to listen and hear some of the findings in this report, it is chilling. Indeed,
2: and that vulnerability that you mention, for um, Olivia, the baby we just heard about, deserved to be a young woman today. Mm. and the hundreds of other families uh, mentioned in this report, they all deserved a different future to the one that they were given. And that vulnerability, obviously for um, a baby, but also for a mother and also also for, for a family, is absolutely central to this. I think there are two big issues that really kind of crop up here. One is one about the way NHS trusts are managed and the way some of them... Not just this case. Think about cases like mid staffs, for example, where you see similar systemic things. If you happen to have an organisation that gets into the mode of refusing to believe patients, refusing to listen, knuckling down, uh, believing criticism is an attack rather than something that, that they ought to listen to, that can be absolutely deadly. Whether it's in um, midwifery and obstetrics, whether it you know with with, with mid staffs, with, with with patients of a different profile. Then there's a there's a second issue here that is within some parts, not all, but some parts of obstetrics and midwifery, um, in which there there seems like there becomes there's an ideology as well as a question of medical science mm. that comes into play. What was happening to a lot of these uh, families in this report was they were being told that the trust believed there should be what it termed a natural mm. birth, which You're meant right. that medical interventions that. This report's found could have saved hundreds of lives, were being avoided. And I've got to say, even anecdotally, I mercifully, my own family, have never experienced anything anywhere near as severe as this. But even anecdotally, you know, one of my own children had an, uh, an undiagnosed tongue tie at birth, meaning that they couldn't li- literally could not breastfeed. And that was something that medical professionals missed. Sometimes that's tricky, and I understand mm. that. But it could have been picked up on. Instead, we found ourselves trapped for several weeks of a young baby's life where the baby was not getting the food it needed, instead of being... You know, there was an ideology of support to be natural, which meant that the system was geared towards saying, thumbs up, have some cake, keep on trying. And actually, for us, that was completely the wrong thing. We weren't given yeah. the actual support we needed for our baby to be happy and healthy. Um, this is that on a much more extreme scale. It is troubling, I think. that That's not everyone in that field by any means, but it is troubling when... The attitude towards a patient is actually their expected. There's a lot of talk about choice and birth plans and so on, but yeah. actually goes out the window in, in far too many cases when um, a medical professional of one sort or another decides that what somebody what will be done to somebody rather than what they will, 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 will happen with them. And it's not always for their best interest.
0: Yeah, um, Rob, you know, this ideology uh, kind of pushing people towards a natural birth. You know, often, I think, anyway, it's about statistics and it's about actually a hospital wanting to tick boxes and make itself look good on various different reports. Um, you know, if someone's had a C-section, they haven't failed. You know, it's not failure to deliver by C-section. Um, you know, do you think sometimes, Rob, that the kind of ideology, the tick boxes, the targets, etc., get in the way of consistently good care...
3: Yeah, I really echo the points that Mark's made about that uh, accountability and about this ideology of natural is best that affects this whole field in particular, I think. Um, So I had a colleague who had her first child a few years ago, really determined to breastfeed and baby wasn't latching on. A week later, the child's back in hospital, dehydrated, and nobody was saying, well, let's be pragmatic, bottle feeding's fine as well. And, and that kind of pressure on mothers. And as you say, uh, a very vulnerable time, and you are kind of going along, going with the flow ab- about these things. And then, you get, guess, and then you have the tick box culture as well of, of, of trying to hit targets and things like that. But also that culture of accountability and how you, uh, you, you make sure that people are held accountable. And when things like this start to happen, because this ideology has been overreached, that there doesn't seem to be the mechanisms to make sure that, that there's a check, there's a quality control that says, how can we make sure this doesn't happen again? Instead, so there seems to be a closing down of the shutters and an assumption that you know that the parents must be in the wrong or they must be deluded in some way. Yeah, That's a real problem. and
0: Pimana, it has happened again. It happened over and over again. Um, you know, this spanned two decades. And by the way, it took, it took years and years for this report to come out. I would even have questions why it takes so long to investigate these things in the first place. But we talk about accountability. Lots of people are saying that they want criminal prosecutions to happen, that they want people that are um, being responsible to be criminally accountable. Your thoughts?
4: I mean, I I agree with sentiments that both Mark and Rob um, have expressed in terms of a a culture of accountability needing to be implemented within the NHS, within this specific trust, but also across other NHS trusts. I think that one thing should be clear to all of us is that where doctors go wrong or where nurses go wrong, they are striking off the register and they they can't practise medicine again. So that should give some people some comfort.
0: No, it won't give people comfort. If someone's, if you're a mom, Pimana whose child, I mean there's 201 babies at least, in 94 other cases, children have got long-term injuries, including brain damage. I don't suspect that if that was one of my, if I was the mum of one of these children, it wouldn't be enough for me to hear that sentence. Oh, well, don't worry about it, he's being struck off. I would want more than that. I'd want him in prison. Quite frankly, I think that
4: every case needs to be looked at within the within its situations, and we have to be able to give um, doctors and nurses the ability to be able to respond to some of the the things that have, the decisions that they have made. So I couldn't say if they should or should not go to prison because I think it really depends um, on the specific case. But on this specifically, I mean, my heart goes out to, to all the families I've had to campaign tirelessly to get accountability. They shouldn't have had to do this. And the thing that really, really concerns me is that women, time and time again, raise concerns and they. Want weren't believed and they weren't listened to. You know, I was listening to to PMQs today, and one of the MPs said that one of their constituents um, you know, asked for a c-section and was denied a c-section. And I look back into the history of this and it seems that the World Health Organization at that point was pushing natural births. So this was, a, you know, not a just UK-wide, but it was a whole worldwide thing that they were pushing natural births. So I think that this needs to be looked at again. I think we should definitely push for a culture of change and accountability and transparency. But the thing that really concerns me here is the whistleblowing policy within the NHS. Where were the other healthcare professionals who witnessed this and mm. who saw this? Why didn't they come forward? Why didn't they raise the alarm earlier? I mean, you said this went on for decades. So to me, I think we need to go back and make sure that NHS professionals and healthcare professionals have the power to be able to come forward without any consequences to, to maybe if they're not involved in that situation to be able to raise the alarm.
2: Yeah, I I, I agree about that. And I, you know, I think if you look at, I mentioned before the mid-staff scandal and you saw the lady who very valiantly was, a, you know, spent years being a re- really central driving force in, in knocking down doors, insisting that people paid attention to the fact there was something wrong. She was harassed, intimidated, as I recall, even things like family memorials and so on were damaged. Um, there's a, there's a formal question about the power of and protection of whistleblowers, and there's a cultural question. Yeah. Um, the other aspect I think we should look at in terms of criminal law is corporate manslaughter is, a, is, is on the statute book in the UK. Mm-hmm. If I, as a chief executive of a company, do something in such a way that I fail so recklessly to protect the life of a member of staff or a customer, then I and, or other people involved in the business that I run could be charged with corporate manslaughter. If, this, if it's the case that this trust repeatedly failed to learn even its own findings, ref, refused to pay attention to the fact there was a problem, I, you know, you'd never want to prejudge these things. It's important with criminal law that it's properly uh, independent. But uh, it would seem completely appropriate to me that that ought to be considered by the relevant authorities. Because hundreds and hundreds of lives have been snuffed out at the very moment when they ought to have been beginning.
4: I mean, I think that that's a great solution for, for families in, in order for them to feel like they've got justice. But I think long term, we need to look at, get, at getting better training for the mm-hmm. healthcare professionals within this trust, um, making sure that they understand this should never happen again. And I think the thing for me, I mean, m- lots of members of my family are doctors and, and nurses. And so speaking to to them about this, they were really shocked that, that this happened because, you know, the first priority of a doctor is the the safety of their patient and making sure that they're okay, especially when it comes to maternity uh, care, um, that they are, are, you know, on board with the plans of of how they give birth. And if the patient wants a C-section, for example, um, they should be able to to go forward with that. And if the doctor isn't willing, this is what I've been told, if the doctor isn't willing, they should be able to refer that mum, that that individual, to another doctor who would be willing to do a C-section operation. So I don't understand why this didn't happen here, and why why it, that failure happened here, and I want to make sure that that doesn't happen again. And I, so, and so, I think we really need, need to push training and, you know, the whistleblowing.
0: It's not It's not just training and whistleblowing, by the way, it's actual staff numbers. Um, because if we look, there's a huge shortage uh, in midwives, for example. You know, a pre-existing shortage of 2,000 uh, midwives in England alone. Um, you know, regular viewers will know that I had my own uh, very challenging a birth experience during the pandemic. And, you know, I just, my heart absolutely breaks for all the families because nothing um, will bring back, you know, you've lost your baby. And for 94, nearly 100 families, their babies, their children are living with brain damage uh, in many cases because of mistakes that have been made Uh, during the delivery i can't even imagine how some of them must be feeling today if you're affected by this absolutely my heart goes out to you Uh, and it's all well and good having these reports but now we need the next steps accountability Um, will we get it who knows Uh, louise barnett who's the chief executive of shrewsbury and telford hospitals nhs trust said the following today's report is deeply distressing and on behalf of all at the trust i offer our wholehearted apologies for the pain and distress that has been caused we owe it to the families that we failed, those we care for uh, today and in the future, and our valued colleagues providing that care to continue to make the necessary improvements so that we are delivering the best possible care for the communities we serve. Jim. Uh, it's one of those people that you serve. He says he lives in Telford. Uh, he says, like the lady you've just interviewed, I have no faith that the Trust will change their policies. He says it's not just in maternity, but he feels, in his view, it's the whole way the Trust reacts to criticism on any subject. He says the NHS more generally needs to start holding senior managers and staff to account. Well, let me know your thoughts. You can email gbviews at gbnews.uk. You can tweet me at Michelle Joubs or at GB News. Reminders to my panel tonight, we've got Mark Wallace, who's the chief exec of Conservative Home, Rob Lyons, the science director at the Academy of Ideas, and Pamana Asad, who's a Labour councillor. Carly has been in touch saying um, she basically thinks this is a much bigger problem across the entirety of the NHS, broader than what was in the report. She says that she's had her own experience of NHS negligence, um, lost her own child and, she says, destroyed her life. Um, I've got to say, I worry as well about how broad an issue this is. Hopefully time will tell and I'm really sorry, Carly, for your loss. Uh, Moving on, uh, Justice Secretary Dominic Raab says that he will ask the parole board to reconsider their recommendations that Baby P's mother, uh, Tracy Connolly, be released from prison. Connolly was jailed in 2009 after admitting causing or allowing the death of her 17-month-old son, Peter, two years earlier. Baby P, as it became known, suffered more than 50 injuries. Connolly was released on licence in 2013, but jailed again in 2015 for breaching her parole. Obviously, this is a very emotional story. Lots of people have very strong opinions. Um, I've got to say, I certainly have a strong opinion, and I think she's an absolute disgrace. Um, I don't think she should ever be freed. And if I was in charge of the country, and for everyone's sake it's a good job I'm not, Personally, I would make her be sterilised so, so that she could never have a child again, let alone hurt one. Um, but as I say, luckily I'm not in charge of the country. Rob, uh, your thoughts?
3: Well, throwing away the key is certainly a, a very attractive proposition. I can't believe anybody's got a shred of sympathy for Tracy Connolly. Um, but I do have uh, concerns about the justice system being fair and, and measured and, like, predictable, because that's how everybody, whether they're innocent, guilty, whatever gets justice. And so I tend to avoid making judgments about without seeing all of the facts and the jury in this case, the judge in this case and now the parole board on multiple occasions, they at least have all of those facts in front of them and can understand the case in, in, in the round. She's been she was a, a she was given an indefinite term with a minimum of 5 years. She served 11 um, she's not going to be free by the, by the what we would normally call free. She's going to be wearing a tag, so she's going to have to live at a particular place, tell the police if she's in a relationship, have her communications monitored, uh, if she's allowed out. Um, certainly, I can see why Dominic Raag w- wants to um, uh, review the case, um, but I wouldn't automatically say that it's wrong for her to be released. I think that it, it needs to be considered as much for the the sake of everybody else who has some relationship with the justice system. As for Tracy Connolly, I don't...
0: Yeah, For her
3: individual case, I don't particularly
0: care. See, Pamana, in life, I think there's some kind of lines that you cross in society, and I think once you cross those lines, you've got no business being out in society. I, I don't care if you've got a tag or if you've got to tell the police I'm in a relationship. If you can give your own child 50 injuries, including a snapped spine... Eight broken ribs, sorry, but you've got no place in society if you ask me, am I wrong? So it's interesting, this one. Um, she initially didn't
4: take fault uh, on um, the death of her, her child and said that she wasn't at fault uh, on this and that her boyfriend was was at fault um, for, for his death. Um, and then later on she changed her mind and said that she wrote a letter to the judge saying that she takes full responsibility and, and she cries herself to sleep sometimes um, knowing that she hasn't been a good mother. Um, for me, I think I look at this in terms of, you know, if we look at her history, um, she grew up with, with a mother who, were, who had a drinking and a drug problem. Um, she was known to social, social services from char- from childhood. Um, and then when she was 16 years old, she got into a relationship with a man who was 17 years her senior, and she had uh, baby P at that time. So I think there's a whole range of uh, issues here with this individual in particular. She needs help, clearly. That's quite clear. But the, the thing that I come to is, is she, if she's continuously a danger to society now in
0: terms of other but Hang children, on, before that... we come to the danger of society, I want to pick <laughs> you up on your point there. Mm. Are you saying that being abused as a child or having a chaotic lifestyle as a child basically gives you some kind of free no, no, path? No,
4: definitely not, no. I'm saying what she needs is uh, support um, because that has clearly impacted her um, and clearly hasn't helped this situation in particular. See, I, I, you know, I, three of her other children, three of her other children were taken off her and put into care.
0: But you so, know, so, Pimana, you know, right? I was on the social services at risk register as a child. I have had what some would call an abusive childhood. Yeah. I've got a little boy the same age as Baby P. I know right from wrong. Yeah. What was done to me as a child, yeah. I wouldn't dream of inflicting on a ch- you you know you know but you're right a different from person, wrong person, though
4: Michelle you're yeah, a different but, person yeah but i and don't care what achieved- person i am
0: you know i don't care who you are you know that abusing a baby snapping the char- the, the spine mm-hmm. of a baby or letting someone else do that you know right from wrong and i don't care what your childhood is i really don't Pamana. I mean, I would agree
4: with you that people should know what right and wrong is. But what I'm trying to to say here is that she should have got support right from early on, and, and that support wasn't given to her. From, from her being a 16-year-old child. So that's what, that's what I would like to, us to consider in the whole context of this. But in terms of her being released now, I think if she's continuously a danger to society, she should, not, she should not be released and she should stay in prison.
0: Oh, I don't even want to consider her childhood, Mark, to me, I, I, I just think it's so... I'm sick and tired of people excusing terrible behaviour. Accept personal responsibility it's awful when people have a terrible childhood and they need to be supported and all the rest of it, but do, it does not excuse bad behaviour into your adulthood. Get some personal responsibility and sort yourself out. Of
2: course, because... Sorry, I, I just I, wanted I, to get that but, off my chest. But, but that's one of the reasons why one of the tests that a court assesses is whether somebody is capable of being held morally culpable. You know, If you're in a circumstance in which your childhood has literally caused you such serious mental illness that you cannot be deemed by a court to, to know right from wrong, then the law treats that differently. It assessed this case. It assessed that she did know right from wrong. She was culpable. Um, and, uh, you know, it, whether she's a threat to a danger to society is rightly one of the considerations. It seems to be the main thing the parole board's consider. here. But there are other considerations here. I think, you know, there's the question about punishment. Rehabilitation is one function, or ought to be one function of the justice system. It often fails in that. We should do better on it. But... You know, rehabilitation is part of it, but there's also a question of punishment. And thirdly, there's a question of deterrence. And I think the kind of lines that you were talking about, I agree with Rob that we need kind of clarity, You need a kind of static clarity for people, but that involves drawing a line. One of those lines is that if you do this particular crime, I don't think you should expect any prospect of being released.
0: But I don't think you should be allowed to have another child either. Well, you're, you're I think prison, if, so. You hopefully you're No, but if she's going to get released, I don't think... If you can do this to a child... I just don't think you should ever be allowed to be unsupervised around a child again. I certainly don't think you should ever be able to have a child again. I've just got like, to me, it's just so black and white. You're a disgusting human being that's demonstrated you are not fit To parent a child. You don't get a second chance in my book when it comes to that topic. But I just don't know if I'm just being a bit deranged or a bit harsh because this particular... No, I think it's emotional. That's why you you feel that.
4: Because originally when I was looking at this, I thought the same thing as you. She should not be allowed to have children ever again. Um, But how do you practically stop that from happening, you know? And, And is that what are the well, I ta- well, I told you do. what I would have done, I
0: would sterilisation, <clears> but... What I are the, the legal ramifications
4: but... that we're setting if that, if that is sure. something that is considered? You and,
2: know? and I, you know, I think there are, there are very disturbing kind of um, uh, precedents being set if yeah. you start to get the state into the question of um, sterilising people. Yeah. In mm. practice, we have a system along... Well, all right, then, I'll we, compromise. We have I'll a system like this where, this, in various cases, as happened to her with several of her other children, the state essentially takes children away from people yeah. they believe to be dangerous or unfit parents. That happens in a, a variety of different cases at birth because of what the state knows already about a parent, often from past, <coughs> from, from past offences and behaviour. Um, that that I think is 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 a that's already a severe poli- policy yeah. to have. But I think it's one that would be is, is on the side of responsible compared to what I would view as the unacceptable kind of return to kind of eugenics or something like that.
3: But I mean, you, you said just now, uh, Michelle, that you know sort yourself out. So let me play devil's advocate. What if this person is? I don't know. But what if this person ha- is in some way transformed? As a, you know, do we allow the possibility of redemption or rehabilitation, even in a terrible case like this? I think I think that there's been perhaps in the sort of 70s there was there was a, a shift towards uh, the rehabilitation of offences and over time, that's been eroded and eroded. And I think that there is something positive in that, whether it's in this case or not, about saying, right, you've served your time. Yeah. And then after a particular time after that, we'll say, right, OK, you can, you can exist as a normal member of society again. So
0: I'll answer uh, your question, then. So do I believe in rehabilitation and redemption? Yeah, of course I do, yeah. for various things. So if you're a shoplifter, you know, can you be rehabilitated and pack it in nicking mouse bars? Yeah, of course you can. You can have a normal life. There are, there's a line for me, mm-hmm. sorry, but there is. There is a line, if you torture a child, then that's it. That's it. You can't be redeemed. You, you, you're not going to have a normal life. You've done. That child do not get his life back. Uh-huh. So no, unfortunately, and you can tell me at home what you think. I am quite hard-lined on it. I think there is a line in society, if you cross it, if you torture a child, you don't get a second chance at life. Am I wrong? Email gbviews at gbnews.uk. Tweet me at Michelle Jubes. As we all know, we've all uh, been asked to step up and do what was right, which was to be vaccinated against COVID 19. Um, Many of us have had one, two, three, uh, and now we're talking about four vaccines. We're talking about vaccinating children as young as five. Now, let's be clear on the whole, these are safe vaccines for the most people, but what happens when you get side effects to the vaccine? We have something called the Vaccine Damage Payment Scheme in this country, which provides a one-off tax-free payment of £120,000 if someone is severely disabled or has died as a result of uh, side effects from the COVID vaccine. have to say, it hasn't paid out yet a penny, despite there being deaths, that have been confirmed as being as a result of the vaccine. Uh, Joining me now is Conservative MP, Sir Christopher Chirp, who's put forward uh, a proposal using the 10-minute rule motion in the House of Commons, uh, calling for bespoke legislation. Uh, He's calling, basically, for the government to set up a judge-led inquiry into COVID vaccine issues, which would advise on the appropriate compensation package. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, so, Christopher, tell us, if you will, uh, the essence of the bill that you're trying to get through at the moment.
5: Well, first of all, I'd like to ensure that the government takes seriously the symptoms of people who have suffered vaccine damage and continue to suffer, because there is a dire shortage of any proper care for them, and many of them are being ignored by the NHS, Even to the extent of complaining to me that they feel as though they're being gaslighted. So that's one issue. Then there's an issue of the people who have been uh, affected adversely, including those who've suffered um, bereavement. Those people need to be properly compensated and in timely fashion. That's not happening. And we also need to increase the maximum payout from 120,000, which hasn't been increased for 15 years. If that was to be brought up in line with inflation, that would be 177,000. But beyond that, we want to, uh, well, I'd like to see uh, something less rigid than the 60% disability cutoff for entitlement. Because what happens if somebody is 30% disabled? Why can't they get something? I'm not saying they should get their maximum, but why can't we have a gradated scheme rather than a scheme which cuts off all those who haven't been 60% disabled? And and there there are other issues as well, but that's, I think, enough to be going on with.
0: Now, what I found interesting, because I watched you uh, in the House of Commons yesterday, and I was really quite disappointed to see the lack of attendance uh, on the benches. I don't know if I've got a clip of it. Um, If I haven't got a clip of it, I'll describe it the benches were pretty much empty. So I wonder, how seriously do you think the issue... Oh, oh there you go. Um, it's, I'm showing it to the screen now for anyone that's watching it. If you're not watching it, I'll give you the, uh, the short version. It was... There was hardly anyone there, was there, Christopher? Do you think people are taking this issue seriously?
5: I don't think um, a lot of my colleagues are. And there were actually, you know, several ministers on the front bench, which was better than, better than usual. So, so, and I hope that they were, they were listening. But actually, after the debate, I was talking to colleagues on both sides of the House who weren't aware of these issues. And uh, it may be that uh, constituents haven't written to their MPs to alert them to, to these problems. And, and I'd encourage anybody who has got such a problem to raise it with their constituents constituency MP.
0: Yeah, and I find, you know, if you even, uh, because I do a TV show and I think about topics often and I look at what people are talking about, and I found it quite interesting, the lack of attention that people have paid to people that are vaccine injured, because to be clear, yes, I know, uh, it is safe and it has been safe for the majority of people, but there is, it's not a a too small a minority, there are a number of people now that have had it confirmed by coroners, that the death was as a direct result of the vaccine. But yet, we haven't had a single payout from this scheme. I mean, what more evidence does the government need than a coroner's report confirming that that was the cause of death to make a payout?
5: Well, well quite right. And a coroner's report is conclusive evidence of the cause of death. And so, why not pay out on the basis of those coroner's reports? And I raised this again yesterday because some people have said that there's a a battle going on between the Business Services Authority for the NHS and ministers. The Business Services Authority says it wishes to reduce this bureaucracy, but ministers are insisting that it stays. And there's a blame game going on, but the the victims are the people who are the bereaved.
0: And do you think it's right because the uh, manufacturers of these vaccines have basically been indemnified, so anything that goes wrong is the responsibility currently of the government. Do you think it's right that the manufacturers have got that in place?
5: Well, I'd like to see the terms of that indemnity. I understand that the terms have been changed recently and I can understand it initially... There was a, a reason for doing that because probably the, the vaccines wouldn't be made available if it hadn't been on those conditions. But I think now we've got a lot more evidence about the effect of the vaccines on that minority of people for whom the benefit is outweighed uh, by the disbenefit. Uh, that I, I think there's a case for having much more um, openness about, about this and questioning whether we should allow the vaccine manufacturers to be completely exempt from any... Uh, being held accountable.
0: And what's the next steps then for the bill that you're trying to get through?
5: Well the, the bill, we're obviously re- reaching the end of this session of Parliament so uh, as I said it's a, this bill is a catalyst for government action and to take this issue seriously. Uh, there are 450,000 yellow card reports of adverse uh, effects from the vaccine and there are probably tens of thousands of of people who have been seriously affected, including um, some people sadly dying as a result of this, the government needs to get a grip on it, and and it hasn't so far.
0: And this is one of the contentious points of this, because what people will then push back on is say, well, hang on a second, yellow card, it's basically voluntary information. I could go on there now and say that I've had all kinds of stuff uh, based on the vaccine. There's no real kind of weights, measures and checks. It's kind of a voluntary reporting system. So people, therefore, will criticise it and say, you know, you can have a quarter of a million, a half a million reports on there, but it doesn't count for anything because they're not proven with causation. What would you say about that?
5: Well, it was only three years ago, Michelle, that the, um, the, the department responsible for the yellow cards, the MHRA, was actually encouraging people to come forward with the yellow card reports on the basis that they, it may not be proven, but if there's a suspicion that something's gone wrong as a result of the vaccine, then the sooner we know about it, the better. Now, and they said at that time that they thought that only about 10% of adverse events from vaccines were actually being reported on the yellow cards, so encourage more people to do it. So now I think they've changed their tune because they realize that an enormous number of people have been reporting uh, these adverse I- effects and they're, they're overwhelmed. So, um now, what do you, what do you want? I mean, there's obviously something seriously wrong here. And as a result of what I've done in Parliament, I've been put in contact with uh, similar situations in other overseas parliaments where legislators are finding that they are under a lot of pressure not to challenge the establishment on these issues.
0: Yeah, and I mean, one of the things that I'm, uh, which raises concerns to me, is we're lowering the age of which we're offering these vaccines to people. So as young as five uh, to be offered the vaccine, well, the parents obviously offered it on their behalf, but, you know, we've had a situation where I think of, for example, the Pfizer vaccine, you know, in America, there's been a court case there that has forced, essentially forced uh, data surrounding the side effects, et cetera, to be made public. Pfizer tried their very best uh, to slow this kind of dissemination of information down. I think they wanted to release it at such a slow, slow, That It would have taken about 55, 75 years to release all the information uh, linked to the approvals of these vaccines. That for me raises alarm bells and concerns. There's been calls from various different groups to actually pause the rollout to the younger children until we know a bit more about the impacts, the side effects, etc. What's your thoughts on that? Do you think we should be taking uh, the vaccine rollout to broader groups or do you think we should be waiting until we understand more around the side effects?
5: Well, I don't think uh, we should be forcing or encouraging people to take vaccines unless we can demonstrate that the benefits from the vaccines for those individuals is greater than the risks. And the government has conceded that there are a group of people for whom the risks are greater than the benefits. I've asked if we can find evidence so that those people can self-identify. And the government has held back on providing that information. And why is it holding back on such information? And I've also... I mean, I've got 16 other questions, I think, which I've put down, which should have been answered by now. They haven't been answered. And the, the government seems to be in denial about these issues, it wants to promote the propaganda in support of the vaccines, because obviously uh, vaccination is is in general a good thing. But I think it would be better for the government to actually face up to the fact that for some people, vaccines are a disaster, a small minority. But face up to that and then deal with it accordingly and say, if you do the right thing for public health, then we will see you right with our uh, ex gratia compensation scheme.
0: Absolutely. Um, I'm just going to open this up, Mark Wallace. You join me now. Your thoughts on this topic?
2: Well, I've got to say, the clip you showed of the attendance on the green benches—I don't think it's any particular reflection on this topic. Certainly not on Chris, <laughs> who will know from many years of 10-minute rule bills that some of his colleagues don't pay attention to all, of, all that they perhaps ought to—that uh, goes on the on the order on the order paper. Um, the existence of the VDPS is is obviously a good thing. There's obviously reforms you could have that. Keeping up with inflation, at minimum, I think, is cle- clearly a correct thing that ought to happen. You don't want fiscal drag to kind of eat away at the value of this. It, the existence of the scheme does give the lie, of course, to what we heard from various anti-vaxxer uh, lobbies over the last couple of years on the topic of indemnity, who made out that indemnity of corporations meant that there would never be any compensation for damage, which turns out not to be... From the manufacturer? No, no, but, but in, indeed, but some people wrongly portrayed that as meaning that if there was any damage, there would never be any compensation and there, there is a scheme to do that. Yeah, but I, hang on, it's not uh, effective
0: though, is it? We're in a situation now where it has been ruled, before I even get into 60% disability or serious illness, it has been ruled by coroners that sure. there have been cases of death specifically caused by this yeah. and yet not a single payout. Indeed,
2: I and mean, that, that's why I say, I think, you know, the system itself needs reform, it should certainly get where there are conclusive cases like that, I do take issue with Chris, when, when you describe yellow card reports as vaccine effects, they're vaccine events. So they're events that take place in the particular period after someone's been vaccinated. Any and all events can be reported there. And the point in which they rightly encourage people to, to report is that you gather that evidence and then, as a scientist on the panel to defer, you then study them to work out what's causation and what's coincidence. Um, obviously, particularly when you're talking about vaccinating, say, people in their 90s, sadly, a certain proportion of people in their 90s in any given fortnight will will end up dying, for example. And that would be wrong to categorise those as automatically being effects just because they've been reported as events.
0: Yeah, so it's a starting point, not an ending point. Rob, your thoughts?
3: Well, I, I mean, I, I spoke to... Uh, a year or so ago for an article, I uh, um, spoke to some people from the, the last time around, which was the swine flu vaccines, and... Um, There were quite a lot, I would say a lot, but several score, I suppose, of of people who were were badly affected by uh, narcolepsy as a result of one of the vaccines that was uh, used and approved very, very quickly in relation to um, swine flu. Um, And the scheme, it seems to me, at the moment is is really inadequate. It doesn't take into account the, the level of... Um, there should be much more flexibility about, you know, so that if somebody's really seriously damaged, they can't work, whatever, 120 grand is not going to do any good for them. Uh, and be more flexible about paying out small, smaller amounts as well. It should, it should be better. If you're going to indemnify the drug companies, then you should, you should take on that responsibility for the, on behalf of the, the, the population as a whole. I think the vaccines are fantastic by the way, they really, really are. They're far better than we, we, we ever could have expected yeah. at the start, and came much more quickly as well. And they were properly tested, uh, to, to give the lie to that. But we should be looking after the people, the very small minority of people, who were affected by these things. I think that that's a- absolutely reasonable. Um, obviously, it's going to be difficult because that point that Mark was making about correlation doesn't equal causation. Just because one thing happens or another doesn't mean that it was caused by the vaccine. And a lot of these negative effects can be caused by the virus. In fact, they're more likely to be caused by the virus than by the vaccine. But nonetheless, the principle should be there, that the scheme should be, be, be quick, should pay out effectively, um, and the, especially when it's something as clear-cut as a death, I think that there's there is, there is room for better action on that.
0: Hamana, briefly? Um,
4: <clears throat> so I think that the first thing to say is that the, va- uh, the vaccine wasn't mandatory, um, and so people weren't forced. and... Well, they
0: were coerced, though. But if, had,
4: no, but if the government had a list, um, as as the as you were saying about people who were at risk um, and who might have been at risk at getting the vaccine, then that that should have been made exactly. I- available and public uh, public information so that those individuals who were at risk didn't get the vaccine if, if that was the case. Um, but where there is and there have been deaths and that can be proved that that was through the vaccine, then I think that these, these um, payouts should be uh, made. However, I think that most people probably don't know uh, this information and probably haven't been able to come forward to their MPs to share that information and I think we need to be able to gather that Mm -hmm. to to build a proper case because if people have been impacted by this and their livelihoods have been impacted by this then I think that they should be given
0: I've got to say, by the way, I do find it fascinating how uh, all of a sudden it's really difficult to prove causation, uh, etc., and linking it to an event such as the vaccine. But it didn't seem to be that difficult uh, to link things to COVID. That seemed to be... Everyone was very comfortable with the whole uh, case where within 28 days of a test and anyone that's had kind of COVID often getting written down as a COVID death. Anyway, uh, Christopher Chirp, I have to say, personally, I think what you're doing on this topic is absolutely wonderful. Uh, I respect it greatly, I wish you success with your bill. Uh, all of us that have been asked to have the vaccine, which is indeed all of us, should want an effective uh, scheme in place to compensate if and when it goes wrong. That's can, I,
5: can I thank you very much for giving this the oxygen of publicity because so few media outlets are prepared to do that.
0: Yeah, and shame on them, that's what I say. Anyway, that's all I've got time for. Uh, have yourselves a very good evening. I'll see you tomorrow. <laughs>